I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, Tyler. How are you? Good, good. How about you? How are you feeling about season three? I'm really excited. Uh, I feel like we... I don't know. It feels like a new day in the podcast. You know, I feel like we have more listeners or at least ones that I'm hearing from. And uh, we're deep into, you know, like the the run of the podcast, even if we're not deep into the show. And uh, and we've had our first like double episode, uh, which we're just coming out of Gay Witch Hunt Part One and Two. Yeah. Yeah. Which hopefully is a rare occurrence. Um, but listening back to it i was like this is delightful like it was i'm glad we i'm glad we, we did have a lot to discuss i that that one it just wasn't possible to do in under three hours so we take the time when we need it yeah yeah um well uh do you have any revisions and regrets that you want to begin with i actually just listened back to the last episode thinking I'm sure I had a revision or regret didn't come up with something. So in a rare turn of events, I got nothing. You don't want to change your, you don't want to change your point of view again on the Pam coat rack uh, debate. You're good with that. I don't, I'm good with that. But I will (laughs) say, actually, I did think as I listened to it, you could have been a lawyer. Like that's (laughs) a masterful argument. I mean, it just, it reminded me of one of those sort of dramatic courtroom scenes. I don't know. You were like Atticus Finch. It was like, you were just really laying out this detailed, thoughtful, high stakes argument. Um, so it was fantastically persuasive. It just ultimately didn't persuade me. I will say, uh, you know, I, I remember like when I was, <laughs> I was in a relationship and uh, I was, I remember talking to my family about, you know, like, oh, we're, we're going through some stuff. And, uh-huh. but we, you know, when we fight, like it doesn't, you know, go so well or whatever. And they were like, well, that's because you argue like oh. a, a lawyer. <laughs> and oh my like, gosh. That's how you fight. <laughs> <laughs> and not just with me. <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, I just remember, I mean, this was, you know, I, so 15 years ago or something like, or more. I mean, yeah. Um, and, uh, so, and I remember then telling Jen, I was like, oh, you know, once my family said that I'm kind of (laughs) lawyerly in arguments or whatever. And she was like, yes, that's what annoys me when we argue sometimes. And I, it's funny because I was always trying to avoid the professorly, you know, I don't want to get like luxury. That's a danger, I think, of our business. And, uh, but my problem, I think, is the also the, the lawyerly and uh, wow, so, I want to get more of that. <laughs> you mean yeah. in your own fighting, you want to you want to be more lawyerly? Yeah, I want to be more lawyerly. I'm going to try and pick up a few moves from you. <laughs> I would not recommend. And uh, also, um, but also, I did. I, I that was one alternative career for me. It was like I wanted to be a lawyer potentially. Ooh, and I worked, did I ever tell you this? I worked no. at a law office for like. Really, you know, a month or two in yeah oh. in uh, undergrad, and um, just really quickly, I was like, yeah, I want to be a lawyer, so I'm going to work in a law office. That'll be really good. And but I didn't, you know, it was just like there was a sign up in the student union, like come 
be an office assistant and for a law office. And I was like, great. I didn't really research what kind of a law office it was. Uh And, you know, my primary job was like opening the mail and sorting the mail into all these different piles for Mm -hmm. the various different departments of, of, of of a fairly small um, law office. But what I did not know is that the law office, their like primary client was like Citibank and like some other credit card or whatever credit banking thing and so all the letters i was opening and sorting were from like you know poor people basically saying like please do not repossess my home please don't take you know i i promise i'll find a way to pay the 300 dollars like oh, wow I always like to say that like nothing made me so liberal <laughs> and radicalized me as like one day of opening the mail <laughs> in this law office. And I was oh, like, wow. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. Um, anyway, did you have an alternative career instead of a professor that you were like, either that you wish you'd done or that you still plan to do? Um, Originally farmer. Moved away from that. Wait, what? This is a revelation. <laughs> Especially given that Dwight is like, you know, my dark horse favorite character. Yeah. I think I've got, I think I've got some some farming potential in me. Um thought about teaching high school, thought about teaching first grade. I had a lot of like teaching, different teaching phases. A doctor, brain surgeon. And now sometimes I think. Now sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should have been a lawyer. Lawyers, <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting job. And, you know, they always say the English majors, like, they're the law students. Yep. And uh, so I don't know. But you would have been good. Yeah, but wait. Oh, go I ahead. Actually, I'll say I went in terms of lawyer things. I had um, jury duty once a couple of years ago, and it was fascinating. It, like, really made me interested in it. Um, but Man, I want to hear all the details of this case now, but hold on. Wait, tell me about the farming. The farming, okay. Um, I don't know this. I was much younger. So this was a very, this was maybe my first job goal. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I got the idea. I didn't grow up on a farm or really know about farm. I guess I played farm. Um had some had some nice farming toys, but I I don't know. So I don't know quite where where it comes from. But that was just kind of my original thing. That's amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, yeah no, I just love this image of you out on the plains farming. And, I've uh, never I've never thought about the affinity that I do have with Dwight in that <laughs> farm the land. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You care about agriculture and yeah small businesses and and whatnot so uh okay wait how did we get here we were talking about oh revisions and regrets yes and i do have a regret um okay wow it i don't know how we got that far off but bring (laughs) us back okay this is where we're trying this is i i will say this is my strategy for the podcast now it's like as i watch the office i'm like what random shit can i ask megan about (laughs) (laughs) it's in relation to the show uh Anyway, I don't know whether that's good or bad for listening pleasure, but it's fun for me. Uh, anyway, okay, hold on. So um, all that is to say, by the way, buckle up for me to ask your feelings about Cosmos later. But um, okay. nonetheless, uh, I have a revision, and this one comes from the heart. Uh, mm-hmm. One of our listeners. Now, okay, uh, when we talked in, I think, episode part one of 
gay witch hunt about Andy. And mm-hmm. I I maybe made some wayward comments about Cornell people. Oh. I was contacted by one devoted Cornelian listener who never really? in a million years would I say is of <laughs> the pretentious type that I was um, you know, sort of coming for. And I felt so much shame. And it was, I was oh. like, yeah, this is why we call it revisions and regrets. Cause I felt real yeah. regret. Like I painted with a broad brush and, uh, and uh, anyway, so I regret um, my uh, stereotyping or generalizing about all Cornell people. <laughs> I didn't listen back to, to see how I said it or whatever, but I felt, I felt bad about this. So you want to um, just like qualify the claim and say, yeah. Yeah. Most. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashtag not all Cornell. Cornell. Not all Cornell. Okay. Um, yeah. So my, so my Andy, Andy is represent. He is still, though, you would say representative of some of the Cornell population, but I, to be clear, not all. Not all. And you know what? You know what? Maybe Andy was an undergrad at Cornell. And so maybe he's more representative of undergrad. The person that wrote to me was a doctoral student. Or oh. have been one at Cornell. So that's really different, you know? I honestly, I think that that's a completely different category. Yeah. But I also probably was talking about like English department faculty at Cornell <laughs> more than anything. So I don't know. I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, one of my um, advisors was from, had gone to, gone to Cornell. But I will say, I think it's so, or to me, I feel like the experience of being a grad student and being an undergrad is so so different that's not to change what you're saying about the percentage of andy bernards on campus or whatever but i do there aren't any andy bernard grad students right very few i I wouldn't i don't know man i don't know i don't think you make it it. yeah i I don't i don't think you make it through a cornell phd program with the andy bernard's approach (laughs) oh i really can't wait till we get some more andy-centric episodes so we can really unpack his yeah Yeah. Um, and maybe we can offend some more cornell people and so they can like write in that and and fill us in and help us understand yeah yeah that's right um should we move on over to the receptionist desk Let's do it. I like how the receptionist corner, I guess. I like how the name changes a little bit each time. Well, you've had Pam's corner, the weekly receptionist. Oh, what is it called? The weekly. I like receptionist desk though too. I I think it can be a rotating name, and whatever name you happen to give it that week, it will have. (laughs) This only establishes what we were talking about last time about how I have a goldfish memory, like week to week. (gasps) Okay. Um. Well, we have an email. I've got also because I guess I feel like I should do this one because this could yeah. this could kind of meld into revisions and regrets. Okay, you go. This comes from friend of the pod Nick. This was a message he sent in response to um, our first gay witch hunt episode where we talked about Dwight. Wait, is this how it came about? Dwight clipping his nails, and then we talked about feet. Or was, did this come from something else? Okay, well, I'm forgetting the con- context is a little bit lost, but <laughs> the discussion was about dress shoes and how, like, feet in the office and how women's feet tend to be sort of viewed differently. And I think I mentioned something about there being open-toed dress shoes for women, but not for men. Mm. So Nick came back. He did not agree with that. He said that Kino sandals 
Not sure if you're familiar with these, if you want to look them up, K-I-N-L. Kino yeah. sandals from Key West are my dress sandal, Nick said. After all, they are leather and unique. So Tyler, do you agree with this statement? Are there men's dress sandals and are they comparable to women's open-toed or like strappy dress sandals? High heel. This feels, you know, uh, highly charged, you know, and having having already offended one listener, <laughs> I feel I'm nervous to offend another. But um, Nick, uh, you're crazy. Uh, where, 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 <laughs> I'm going to need, here's what I'm going to need from you, Nick. I'm going to need you to send in a picture of you at like a wedding in these sandals. Now, if you were at like a beachy wedding or if you're wearing these quote unquote dress sandals <laughs> in, in um, Miami, you know, and it's 90 degrees and you're mainly wearing khaki or variants of white. Um, okay, sure. You know, but uh, even then I don't, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a real casual choice. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and an after hours choice in my opinion. So I don't know. And now I will say, you know, I, I can think of cross-cultural circumstances where a dress sandal would register in different ways, you know? And so I don't want to presume, uh, you know, that this, that my sartorial norm is true across all cultures and contexts. I would never, but. Uh, global claim. It's yeah. about. American wedding culture. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I don't I can't it's hard for me to imagine you wearing these to the office, is I guess what I'm saying. These keynotes. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is a, this is a good, <laughs> good point, a good question. To give you a little context, Nick is somebody who dresses kind of like a lumberjack, and oh. not in like the recent way that lumberjack dress has become kind of trendy. Like you mean Nick like a lumber sexual? <laughs> <laughs> have you heard that term <laughs> i am gonna start using that term for sure yeah. <laughs> but this is just like this is makes long-term wardrobe like a lot of carhartt you know that kind of thing which Wait, is what what's carhartt oh you don't know the brand carhartt no jackets like you know kind of a construction work jacket they make overalls like men's kind of outdoor Working oh. elements, overalls. Yeah, that's this a good look. That's a good look. It is a good look. But this context is just to say that I don't know that Nick has the best insight about men's dress wear. Whoa. Whoa. Shots <laughs> fired, Nick. <laughs> um, so I, I guess also like, okay, I get I think you're totally right, Tyler, about the, you know, the sandals at like a beach wedding situation. But there are women's shoes that show the feet that you would wear at like a, a black tie or like a sparkly Definitely. ball gown kind of situation. Nick could not wear Kinos in that same context. Right, 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 right. Okay. That's so great. I just wanted to be sure to respond to that. So I thought it could be a revision and regret if you decided that Nick was right, but neither of us did. Um, just one other comment from him. He said, just so you know, there's a group of people out there that consider Die Hard a Christmas movie. So it'll be totally appropriate for you to watch it in the near future. Yes. Because that was the thing Michael Michael criticized Oscar Wright for, for liking Shakespeare yes. and Love and Die Hard. Then Nick texts a little bit later, oh, 
Tyler was explaining the Christmas movie thing and got out <laughs> one of my skis on that one. <laughs> so I just like that as kind of a live response where he then had to do his own revision and regret on it because he spoke a little too soon. Also, I love that. I love when people speak in idioms or vernacular, like I got out over my skis. Yeah, it's a great phrase. I love that. I love that. Um, I don't know what Nick looks like, but I will say that I Googled lumbersexual and just went to images. And so Nick, if you're listening, just Google that, click on images, and that's what I think you look like. And I don't know that I want to know for real. Like, I think I just want that image in my head in- anyway. Um, <laughs> Nick, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so are you convinced? Are you going to watch Die Hard now, uh, Megan? Um, I'm willing to consider it. I'm willing to consider it. I just don't really see myself liking it. I uh, I understand. Yeah. that's yeah. This is a good example of like, Sometimes I think you and I are really similar and then I discover moments when we're really not. And like, I'm such a people pleaser that you were like, hey, do you want to do a podcast about a show that you don't like? (laughs) Do you want to devote like years to that? And I'm like, what? Yeah. And you slowly indoctrinated me into thinking that I do like the show. But I'm like, hey, Megan, you want to do you want you want to watch magic? Do you want to watch Die Hard or Star Trek? And you're like, I'll pass. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh i feel like this is revealing <laughs> i think it's a, you have good boundaries about our relationship no it feels like i'm a manipulative controlling something <laughs> all right if if only that were true of you that's not that's not true at all <laughs> Um, but also I, I think, uh, I, I always appreciate that you're like, I know what I like. I know what I don't like. <laughs> I do. And it just feels like die hard, Isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think you're right about that. <laughs> so Tyler, I think you have something from the weekly reception. I do. I have an email. Uh, okay. Bring it on. Now, just as a reminder to everybody, uh, you can email us anytime, uh, to respond, to the pod um and our email address is the best office hours podcast at gmail.com uh all lowercase no spaces the best office hours podcast at gmail.com okay and so this email comes from teal hi my name is teal i'm one of megan's past and self-declared favorite students i am now a child and family therapist in Asheville, north carolina and listen to your podcast because I adore Megan. And now you, Tyler. And I didn't add that. She actually wrote that, just to be clear. And also because I miss English and analyzing text so freaking much. I know, right? Uh, yeah. Here are some things that I thought about in the last episode. Number one, I don't think the Jim Pam umbrella plan, uh, the umbrella stunt was planned. I think Megan is right. Oof. Oh, I'm so sorry. I feel like the four is just like building up against you on this. It really is. Do or is no one on my side? Am I all alone out here? Um, okay. It's making me want to come around to your side. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, every episode, I wish I could be on a segment to psychoanalyze all the characters because I 100% do walk around life and think, quote, you are like this because of your parents. <laughs> because people <laughs> are. <laughs> um. Well, I would love to invite you on for a segment, um, Teal, but Megan has a strict no guests policy. Uh, 
So, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I mean, you could submit a petition, but, um, you know, number three, I'm emailing you because you said you were sad. You had no emails, but also you need to put it in your Insta bio because I had to go back and listen to remember what the email even was. Great idea. Okay. Good suggestion. Thank you too. Also, you didn't post your last episode on Insta and I didn't know you had a new episode. That's my cue every time. Okay. That's on me. I'm just glad she's not saying anything about Twitter because I never post on it. But now Twitter's like going down in flames, so I don't need to worry about it. Yeah, so um, maybe it's just a, you were taking a choice or ma- making a deliberate choice all along. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you always make me feel better about all my flaws, Megan. <laughs> um, okay. I do listen to your podcast before I watch episodes, like Tyler says about reading books and wishing the professor lectured first. That's 100% what I do with your podcast, LOL. That's a, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm loving this. Teal, you're making me feel great. Um, yeah. It's hard to remember all my thoughts and comments to compile into an email because I often talk out loud back to you while listening and driving, etc. But I forget to email later. <laughs> um I just love this idea, A, that we have listeners, and B, that it's they're amazing. engaging with us. Uh, yes. So that's pretty That's pretty cool. Uh, she says- A couple of things. I, w- I want to recommend Teal the, um, just like record some of those responses on your phone in the moment so you don't forget. You can send us small little comments here and there. Yeah. Um, but it's so interesting. It's very, very interesting, the listening before- because I know this, Teal had not watched The Office. Like, Teal is new to The Office. Well, it's I heard the last things. line of her email is, you're fantastic, and the only reason I watch The Office <laughs> Teal. Um, so nice. Thank you, Teal. Yeah, thank you so much. That's incredible. And also, write back and tell us what, you know, what your experience of watching the show is like. You know, are you do you suffer from the cringe like I do? Are you, you know, yeah. Just tell us, you know, your thoughts. It's interesting too. Maybe people who did not watch the office, like why did you not like what, Mm. what made it um, unappealing for so long that it took this beautiful podcast to bring you in. It is, but yeah, it is, it is pretty amazing. Thank you so much for your email tail. We appreciate it. And it is very fun to hear from you in this context. You know, one other thing that comes to mind, follow up on Teal's email, is the fact that we now have a therapist backing on reading Michael as a result of his parents and of his mother. Um, just kind of takes us back to some of the things like his mom and the pony and rubbing cream on his thighs and dressing him and all of that stuff. So I think it just gives some weight and some credibility. And I think we're going to run with that authorization in the future. I love it. Well, Tyler, shall we get into the episode? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So season three, episode two, the convention. Here's our summary. Dwight, Michael, Jan, and Jim reconnect at a paper convention. Pam gets ready for a double date alongside Kelly and Ryan. Tyler. Can I start with a big picture question for you? Yeah, big picture. Big picture. At an office supply convention, what would you be excited to see? Hmm. Huh. And do you think 
do you think members of the general public can go to office supply conventions? Because I would. You would? I would. So what would you be excited about? Are, are you like an office supply <laughs> fetishist? Yeah, I love office supplies. Love office supplies. I would. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the post-its behind you. I mean, my look God. Look at the post-its behind me. I mean, I would really be excited to see what post-it is bringing. Um, you know, I like different colors. I like different sizes. I like different shapes. I like all of that. So I'd like to see post-it. I would like to see, um, I really like a nice pilot pen. I have a very specific grading. It is the um, precise V5. Oh my gosh, you've got the exact same one. Yeah, I do. Extra yeah. fine. Extra fine. Hell and yeah, blue. So a huge advocate of these, of oh, these yeah. pens. Um, same. One of the things I noticed in the show was glue dots. And Me too. I noticed this. I wrote this down. Dots. So the, something's working. There's a lot. The of, dot so, that does a lot. <laughs> exactly. That's what the uh, tagline was. Yeah. 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 So like, is that one of the booths that you would be drawn to? Like, where would you mm. find yourself spending time at this convention, do you think? Uh, well, the first thing I thought of when you asked me was whiteout. Because every time I watch the... Um, what do you call it? The opening credits, the montage. Uh, I'm always fascinated by the whiteout, uh, I think, in accounting. And um, I just remember that being a big part of my high school experience. The whiteout. Do you remember the whiteout pens? You could shake up the pens and you could like press on them. And it was a pen. Whiteout came out of the pen. And so people would use it to. And I remember doing this too, like right all over your backpack or your Oh, yeah. Um, your shoes. Like if you had black yeah. shoes, you could use the whiteout pen on it. So I'd be really interested to see what whiteout is doing, you know, in a, in a or liquid paper. I think they were called. Yeah. Um, well, you know, they're really kind of moving away from the liquid. Mm. I mean, you know, they're going into more of this. So let me show you. Oh, oh damn. You whiteout, are. Whiteout tape. Is this why you like this show? Just because <laughs> of the office supplies part? It might be. And I, it actually... That might be a part of it. That might be also why I really like this episode. I could see a lot of people just not finding this to be a great episode at all, but I love it. Like me. I don't think this is a great episode. Okay, good. So then I think we're going to have things to argue about here because I do think it's, I do think it's great. Watching it though, I was like, this is going to be Megan's, one of Megan's all-time favorite episodes because of really? all of Michael's, you know, the, when he slips up his words, there's so many of them in this there's episode. So Good. Okay. Where do, start, where do you want to start, Tyler? Uh, uh, I don't, maybe at the beginning, the cold open. Okay. Let's do it. So in our opening, Michael walks in, Pam is at her desk. Michael has seen Oprah and he's seen an interview with Angelina Jolie. And Michael says that he wants to adopt a Chinese baby. I love Pam's response. She first goes to, what was Oprah about? <laughs> Michael, what are your thoughts about this scene? You mean, wait, you just called me Michael? Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Please don't read too much into that. <laughs> but I, I can't. You just told me that Teal is a, is a, is a psychoanalyst. <laughs> Listeners, write in and tell me what you think about Megan's Freudian slip. Um. Okay, what do I think about this moment is that uh, first, 
I owned Angelina Jolie's book uh, that came <laughs> out in 2003 called Notes from My Travels, Visits with Refugees in Africa, Cambodia, Pakistan, and Ecuador. Um, I don't know why it's so funny that to me that you have her book. Yeah, man, I had I was really into Angelina Jolie. You were also inspired. I was. Uh, You know, it's one of those books that I can't really remember if I ever finished or really read. Uh, I don't know if you have lots of books that you've acquired over the years where you're like, I think, I think maybe. Anyway, but so when I heard this, I thought it was, I was like, oh, was she doing a book tour or something like but the episode comes out in 2006, so I think it's just that Angelina Jolie is in the air as a representative of, like, celebrity transracial adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that that was the first thing I thought about was, like, huh, that, it's interesting in the ways that Angelina Jolie is sort of signifying um, celebrity uh, reproduction or whatever. and. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, this is something that I feel like lots of there were criticisms of Angelina Jolie as kind of like these babies are like kind of um, commodities or, you know, like kind of racial fetishes in some way. Uh, So it felt to me like that was in the background of this joke um, with Michael being like, how much would a little Chinese baby cost? Mm -hmm. Um, But also uh, just two other things that really struck me in the scene. I, and the way, the, just the way that I mean, the way that Pam is always managing Michael's desires and and fantasies is just very amusing to me. And yeah. she's very good at doing what I would not be able to do, which is kind of deflecting and delaying and and passively uh, dodging. And so when he says she, she says the waiting list is like eight months, and he's like, I don't even know if I'll want a baby in eight months. <laughs> 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 really 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 funny to me um her face there like she just kind of asks good or point points out good things and she'll just kind of um like listen to him and have this expression on her face like she's kind of holding out a little bit for him to get to the right realization i i agree i think she reins him in just so well and then we go into another trope and I was going to like try to research when this trope emerged, but I can remember like talking with people about this in like high school or whatever. Um, and the reference point that I had at the time was like before sunrise. Have you ever seen before sunrise? Mm-mm. So uh, it's a movie I loved. Um, it, there's a, it, there's like a trilogy of these movies with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy and it's, directed by Richard Linklater. And basically the first movie is like uh, these two people meet on a train. They decide spontaneously to walk around. I can't remember what European city they're in Amsterdam or something like that. I don't know. Um, Austria. I don't know. They, they get off the train, they walk around and the whole movie is just them talking all day into the night. And they're like, we're never gonna um, see each other again. And that's what makes this, so romantic and interesting and whatever but at the end of the movie they're like okay let's meet up at an assigned place in a year or something like that and it's crazy because it's like they don't have phone numbers or addresses they're not gonna you know but it's also the 90s i don't know (laughs) so whatever but anyway the point is they're like in this amount of time we'll 
we'll meet up or whatever. Uh, so that was one reference point I was thinking, but the other of course would be, isn't it like, um, is it my best friend's wedding or something? Like if we're not married in this amount of time, we'll reconnect and like get married or something like that. Anyway, I feel like it's a romantic comedy trope mm-hmm. that Michael is playing into here where he's like, okay, if in 10 years you haven't had a baby and I haven't had a baby, we'll yeah. have a baby together, whatever. Um, I, it's just like, I don't know. It reminded me of how much, I mean, this is going to become something later in the episode too, but just how much Michael lives his life through the fantasies of popular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, uh, Pam agrees to 30 years. And so I was trying to figure out like, do we know Michael's age? But I was like, maybe he's like 45. Is that too old? I don't know how old he is, but anyway. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, yeah, I think he's in his 40s. And I, I think, I feel like Pam was younger than him, but was, I love that scene. I love watching her. So as it goes through, like he keeps increasing the decade. So first he says 10 years, if you haven't had a baby and if I haven't had a baby and he doesn't even have to finish it. Pam just says, no, Michael. Michael, 20 years, no Michael, 30, sure. And there's this moment, there's this pause, and you can just kind of see her eyes calculating. And I I think, correct me if this is wrong, but I feel like she's counting when she expects to hit menopause. Uh, she's like, what's the number of decades, right, that it'll be before this really becomes a physical impossibility? And so that I can just say yes to it because it cannot happen. And so I think that was like a menopause clock situation. And I just love watching her in that. I think it's, I think it's so good. I just quickly Googled my best friend, best friend's wedding. And the premise is that like these two lifelong friends say, if they're not married by 28, they'll marry each other, which just like to now to me seems like insane that Mm -hmm. 28 would be perceived as Oh, you're so yeah, you're like it's a spinster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. That is that is dated. Say so one thing you mentioned how much Michael lives kind of his life and has his fantasies through popular culture. And one thing that's really interesting here is that it's Angelina Jolie who he hears and not like Brad Pitt. Right. And the right. thing is to have the desire to have oh, a child and for yeah. him, like the desire to adopt a child on his own which just feels um like you know I mean he's certainly not picking like the most masculine image to aspire to and so even though it's you know very ill-advised I think I think Pam is right in steering him away from adopting on a whim that was inspired by Angelina Jolie there isn't there something kind of sweet about it oh (laughs) yeah i mean well first i was like i mean also that always seems to be your thesis (laughs) is like is isn't michael's actually kind of okay (laughs) um and uh but also i mean he's watching oprah and that was one thing i thought i was like okay if he gets home at five o'clock or 5 30 like i remember oprah being on at like four or something maybe 3 30 like I don't remember what time Oprah came on but I think it's a daytime show you're right so I think he's probably recording it yeah so I was like oh my god here's this guy who watches Oprah and then I had not thought about what you just said it's so smart the idea that he's essentially identifying with the maternal 
figure yeah. here, right? Yeah. Like he wants a child and he wants to be like Angelina Jolie, um, yeah. as who is an adopted mother, right? So yeah, it's just really interesting the kind of femininity there. Um because yeah. it does, it feels like such a um or maternal a yeah. career, a career woman kind of narrative is like the sort of right, like I want to have a child. I have a life of my own. It doesn't matter if I have a boyfriend or a husband or whatever. Like, I'm going to do it on my own. Yeah. I'm going to have a baby. Yeah. And we have Michael, right, who would love to be in a relationship and now sort of thinks of himself as being in two relationships. But, yeah, there's just something really interesting about him kind of having that story for himself. Like, I, I want to have a baby. I want to have a family. And I don't have the wife, but I will do it on my own well i think he's going to have a real hard time starting the family if he <laughs> continues to carry three packs of condoms with him and <laughs> goes you know I think that's he's got this one desire which is to settle down and then he's got this party boy lifestyle <laughs> that he wants to live um this so he's taking point. with him on this trip which appears to last one night perhaps unclear um, <laughs> yeah is three pairs of socks or three pairs of pants, three pairs of socks, three packs of condoms and fun jeans. Um, and so my primary question for you is, what do you think of those fun jeans? And oh, do you have any fun jeans? You know, I love these fun jeans. I know you do. <laughs> this, might, this might single-handedly alone, like this moment, make it one of my favorite episodes. So again, we've got a connection. We've learned before that Michael dry cleans his jeans. Yes. These jeans are as, so he's got, he's got Ryan sitting in his office and he's having Ryan like check off his packing list. And when he gets to the fun jeans, he like points to them that they're hanging up on the door and Ryan looks over at them. And it's so funny, but they are white jeans in a dry clean bag hanging on the back of a door and I don't even know what to kind of interpret about it but I just think it's so fun and so beautiful that Michael has fun jeans <laughs> that they are white and that he dry cleans them it's just so unique uh yeah it is unique that's for sure I was very <laughs> happy that I caught the the dry cleaning I was like oh Megan will be happy yes yes really that continuity now um and then later in the episode at his like party room i was like wait a minute is he wearing those jeans he is like wearing those jeans um, and he does look good in those jeans does he uh, yeah. okay <laughs> well the other thing he's wearing and everybody's wearing in this scene is polo <laughs> shirts like um like a collared you know short sleeve like polo what do you think about polo shirts? I find them to be, and I'm just going to use a, a sort of, you know, metaphor here, but a, I find them to be a boner killer. Oh, um, God. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on polo oh, And look, I don't, if somebody out there is really turned on by polo shirts, I don't mean to kink shame. Like, do you, you know what I mean? Maybe you love a business casual look, but I have just always found them to be, um, yeah, not where it's at. What do you think? Oh, okay. Well, I feel like we need to just transition into a full fashion segment right now because I have a number of points about clothing. Okay, here we go. Okay. 
Well, so there's the polo shirt and then there's the button down kind of Hawaiian short sleeve collared shirt. So those are two categories we're going to need to handle yep. on the phone. Since you first raised the polo, Dwight and Michael are wearing matching gray Dunder Mifflin polo shirts. Josh and Jim are also matching, but they're wearing button down shirts in kind of pastel colors. And they're open. They're not wearing ties. And they're open both of them a little too far at the top in a way that's a little too relaxed. Huh. I don't know. It it looked a little weird to me. I like I thought that Michael and Dwight looked better in their oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you think that they were supposed to? Was that something or is that just your I do not know. Uh, I really do not know. Yeah. And it's interesting because they both had casualed it down. You know, right. so the, the polo shirt is I'm at work, but I'm kind of relaxed. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm not as uptight as button down. But well, Josh, for men, right? Like, can women wear, you know, a polo like this? I don't know. Like in this kind of oh, context. As a former longtime Starbucks employee, yes. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Polo is the standard. Shirt. I think, yeah, yeah, women can wear polo shirts. I mean, it's like, I mean no, I'm not saying, look, women can do anything they want. Tyler, don't say women can't wear polo. No, 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 no. Is that what I'm, <laughs> I'm going to revise and regret this right now. <laughs> that I was not saying that, but I was just, because I was trying to think about what Jan's wearing, and I feel like Jan is more dressed up than. Jan is more dressed up. But I guess she's also higher up in the yeah. chain. Um, she's higher up. She looks great. And I feel like, um, she has kind of like, I don't know, kind of going back to her women in the the workplace. And I feel like for her to convey her legitimacy and for her not to be questioned as a woman executive, there's like a higher stake. I don't think she has as much leeway for casualness, mm-hmm. but she is wearing this kind of deep blue dress shirt and her eyes pop in that shirt. She looks really good. I think that this is a great look. Jan so out of the agree I love that color yeah it looks really good on her right um so I think she's looking the best out of them I think yeah Jim and uh Jim and Josh are going for their casual look with the openness of the shirt on top and the rolled up sleeves I thought it was interesting that they're matching so much Mm -hmm. that like people from each branch are so matching with Dwight and Michael it made sense because it was just like this is a Dunder Mifflin branded shirt Mm-hmm. So you have this, but for Jim and um, Josh, they weren't Dunder Mifflin shirts. They were just like the same shirt. Yeah, that's interesting. I had not really registered this. I'm looking back at pictures of it now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would be curious if our listeners agree if their neckline is as plunging as Megan feels it is. Yeah. I <laughs> Tyler, let me be more specific. It's actually not so much that the neckline is plunging. It doesn't go that deep, right? It's not like Michael when he goes right. down to the warehouse for the right. discussion or whatever it is. It's 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 buttoned down, but it's like kind of pulled open. Okay, that's true. It it's is almost wide over, like going toward yeah. shoulders. That's fair, and it is, and 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 the sleeves are rolled up, so it's a. And I like sleeves rolled, rolled up. I just I don't know quite. Yeah, I love the sleeves rolled up look. Barack Obama rolls up his sleeves. It's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. But I don't know, like the loosest on top, it was just a little, a little too something. Um, <laughs> but the, 
the poll is the Polish shirt a quote boner killer? <laughs> I do not know. I do not have that feeling about it. It is hilarious. Listeners, please weigh in because I think that this is a great take on the polo. Yeah, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need hopefully somebody will back me up on this, but I, I um, hope someone I hope someone does for you. There's also the so <laughs> Michael gets he get he gets layered up as he's gathering his swag. He's picking things up from all these booths at the convention. He gets kind of a, a fleece. He's got a hat. He's got the you know those like kind of tag chain things. Um, but I think the best thing he gets, or the most distinctive thing, is his Hawaiian shirt, his orange Hawaiian shirt with a white print that is Microsoft Office. <laughs> uh. <laughs> At night. There's a scene where Dwight also has a Hawaiian shirt, although I looked and it does not have the Microsoft Office logo uh, on it. Um, so his might just be his own Hawaiian shirt. But Teller, what did you think of Michael in that outfit? So the um, Hawaiian Microsoft Office shirt tucked into his white fun jeans. Oh boy. I mean, <laughs> I... <laughs> And he's got his cell phone on his hip, like uh, oh yes, the clipped on cell phone, oh, yeah. which yeah. Like, also a boner killer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought it was really, you know, I mean, I was like, these people look like they are at a paper convention, and when yes. the two guys come into the party at the end, the and I can't remember what company they're from, Evan and whatever. Um, yeah, they. Well, first they're both matching and yes. they're in their company's polos or whatever. But um, but in that moment, I think Michael and Jim are both now wearing like kind of button-up shirts or whatever, even though they're different. And so that aligns the two of them when Michael's like yeah. oh, best friends or something like that. So yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about how his kind of costume change ends up realigning him with Jim, which is what mm. happens narratively, like at the very beginning. He feels jilted by Jim, and by the end, he's like, "Oh my God, I actually have a friend." Um, which I really yeah. want to talk about that arc. But uh, was it a good look? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, um, but nobody looks good in the office. I mean, it's also amusing. We uh, Michael's the one telling Pam to like unbutton her shirt for her date, and then yeah. everybody is coming by Pam's desk and being like, "That's what you're wearing." I um, know, I know. Two things. So I guess Michael's outfit. The other thing. I mean, this this Microsoft shirt. It's so. It's got like really big. It's short sleeve, but they're like these really big sleeves. I mean. It is, it's definitely not a good look, but it's also perfect. Like it just, it seems to say so much in its offness. And it's interesting that um, like having the Microsoft logo on a shirt, I mean, not that it was probably, not that it was a great shirt before anyway, but it feels like there's something so dorky about it being a microsoft shirt that you got as swag but him like thinking right like really feeling like all that stuff is so exciting and so cool pam though you're right so everyone's coming around oh yes go ahead oh just really quickly there's a line where he says i decorated my whole condo with like yes. free swag and i was like oh my god <laughs> but also i can remember i don't know if you've ever 
had this experience, you know, of, but like when I was young, like, you know, my parents would bring back random crap from conventions or work or whatever, you know, notepads and um, things like that, you know, pens or whatever. And I was just like, oh, this is awesome. And I can remember going to some conference or something and like, you know, oh, you no, know, you can just like take a book, take this, that, you know, you take a lanyard. Yeah. The yeah. Real, the thrill of free shit is um, yeah. still not lost on me. So I get yeah. that. Yeah. And he, he really delights in that. Pam though, everyone. So first yeah, Kelly comes over and she's like, what are you wearing tonight? And Pam says something like probably this. And then Kelly says, I don't, I don't know the exact quote on this, but it's something like, you look so pretty. Like so right. clearly thinking she does not. I actually think this is one of Pam's better outfits because it's the sweater is like a nice color for her it's sort of a turquoise-ish blue over her usual pastel button-down shirt um but maybe it's that I like things in the blue family more than the pinks that she tends to wear uh but I thought she looked pretty good I thought this was I thought this was a fine outfit I did too I mean I was also I don't know I I didn't I, I wasn't quite sure the nature of the joke like are we supposed to agree with everybody that she should change before the thing and that she doesn't look good or are we supposed to think everybody's like kind of rude and or maybe both I don't know I, I didn't quite get the I mean it yeah. was funny when you read the description I had I sort of completely forget that Pam goes on a date in this episode um and I know yeah. that it's like sort of important in some ways in every way right to the trajectory of the plot like it's the reason that uh Jim went away Michael doesn't understand. It's not until the end that Michael understands that his like friendship is repaired. Mm -hmm. Jim, meanwhile, is hearing about Pam through the phone call and Pam is hearing about Jim through Michael. Um, but yeah, I just keep forgetting that she has a date. <laughs> it's so forgettable. It's forgettable and it's so awful. Like, I, I do not like that part of the episode, mostly just because I hate the guy. Oh, you don't like Alan with his... I do uh, not like me? Alan. Alan is the worst. But while we're... Before we go past the note of people talking about Pam's date, one thing I just want to get into there, and this is one of Michael's language things. Um, so this is when Kelly has come up to the reception, and she says, she's advising Pam, well, remember, no matter how much you may want to, do not sleep with him on the first date. It gives him all the power. And Michael walks up, and he says, sleep with who? Whom? 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 Like... <laughs> His attention to grammar <laughs> in this moment where it is so beside the point is just hilarious. I think it is so funny. I would actually do away with whom if I had the power to do so. I think it's yeah. stupid. I will never in spoken language say whom. It always sounds pretentious to me. <laughs> Um, so I hate it. Like I'll avoid, I'll try to in writing avoid using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Correct, but I also don't want to say it correct because you sound so stuck up. But <laughs> Michael is correct here. It is the object, right? object's receiver of the sentence. Um, but just love it that he's coming in with with some attention, hardcore attention to proper language when what he's asking her is the thing that's so inappropriate. Like, it's not a question of who or whom, but should you be asking your employee that? Right, right, right. But 
What did you think of, Pam, uh, I'm sorry, um, Stanley and Phyllis's advice to Pam? Oh, very off-putting, very off-putting to me. So when, yeah, Pam said, or I mean, uh, Phyllis says, order the most expensive thing on the menu because then he'll know you're worth it, right? Isn't the line? And then Stanley says, well, you're going to have to put out them. And Pam kind of rolls her eyes. And then Phyllis says, yeah, you are going to have to put out. I hate the move, order the most expensive thing on the menu. Mm. I... I mean, I don't like this whole, I don't love the whole kind of transactional logic of it. It's like, right. yeah, get a good meal and then, you know, you've got to bone him for it. Um, <laughs> so don't love that. But also don't love this kind of move for women or this thing of advice for women of like, you know, be a princess, show him you're worth a lot of money, get the lobster, whatever. I just, mm -hmm. this is not, this is not for me. I thought it was funny because I feel like they're starting to, I don't know, I I don't want to make this as a claim, but I do feel like we're starting to see Phyllis uh, develop as a character. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think that it's interesting the way they sort of play her against the earlier representations of her as kind of meek, mousy, yeah. and matronly, yeah. and now we see these flickers of like kind of um interested in sex and mm -hmm. and uh in, not, i don't want to say like empowered but like something along those lines you know yeah. something knows her value and wants to assert it and yeah, yeah. i thought it was interesting from that perspective <laughs> um sure. but i was also like fuck me like i do not want to first i don't want to go on a first date um as a double date that just seems like a nightmare to me but i definitely don't want to go on a first date with kelly and ryan and mm -hmm. they were not doing any help to the whole thing they like i felt like kelly and ryan were just watching a train wreck uh without inter interacting or anything like i don't know it was such an awkward it was cringe for me big time kelly and ryan were not helpful in their interaction but I actually would want to go on a first date with a Kelly type. Oh. I, count, I feel like I could count on her. I don't think she followed through real well on this, but I would go in thinking I can count on her to fill a lot of time talking. That's and true. I don't have to talk. Like, I don't have to have anything to say and I don't have to feel as awkward because I can maybe just ask Kelly one question and set her <laughs> off for half an hour to fill the space. That's true. But then you're not getting to know the person that you're on the date with, unless you're on the date with Kelly. But, you know, I just I think I have to get to know them by observing their reactions to Kelly. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, no, that's true. But I do I do want to get to know I do want to get to know them. But I think it's just about fear of awkwardness. And so like having a Kelly around can be helpful for that. I would just say really quickly about Alan. Um mm -hmm. There's an episode, okay, so there's, I don't know if you've ever watched or listened to the podcast. Have you ever listened to the podcast Comedy Bang Bang? <laughs> this is kind of like an improv comedy podcast. And it had a TV show that was, I think, on like FX or whatever for a while that I really liked. Um, and there's an episode, uh, and it, I looked it up, it's in 2013. And the episode is called, um, let's see, season two, episode seven. 
Andy Richter wears a suit and jacket and a baby blue button-down shirt is the name of the episode if anybody's interested. But in the episode, so every episode would have like a celebrity guest and it would be a kind of like, it's like a, it's like a satirical version of a, like a David Letterman type show. Right. And so the celebrity guest would be the first guest, but you know, it was like a, it was a funny interview, not a real interview, you know, and then the second would be like somebody doing an improv character And I think about this episode all the time because the improv character that comes on is a political cartoonist and he does kind of like New Yorker style cartoons and he shows them and they're not funny, but he keeps saying it's, it's very funny, very witty, (laughs) very, very funny. And, um, and the joke, you know, in the episode is that the host and the others don't, you know, like, no, this isn't funny at all. And like, he he even does one where it's kind of like they're all about like oil as if he's like making some political statement about oil in America or whatever. Yeah. But they don't they're all kind of nonsense or whatever. I was thinking of that during this episode and I kept thinking, oh, my God, Comedy Bang Bang ripped this off because <laughs> this guy, although maybe we already have stereotypes of political cartoonists as like douchebags, but I don't know. I was like, what are our associations with this figure but he's definitely in alan is definitely like oh yeah i'm really witty and edgy and uh it also threw me back to the freedom fries um debacle in america i was trying to remember what that was in 2003 um i don't even recognize that so this was when okay in february 2003 a north carolina restaurant was widely publicized when the Republican chairman of the Committee on House Administration, Bob Ney, renamed the menu item in three congressional cafeterias. The political renaming occurred in the context of France's opposition to the proposed invasion of Iraq. Although some restaurants around the nation followed the renaming, the term became unpopular in part due to the declining support for the Iraq War. Um, So they renamed them Freedom Prize instead of French? Right. Like take that away from the French. Yes, exactly. And then uh, when that guy resigned in 2006, the change was reverted in congressional cafeterias. So Mm -hmm. that's the year that this episode, I think, airs. And so um, anyway, so his like trying to do topical humor about freedom fries is like three years too late. And nobody would have been thinking it was funny or cool anyway um yeah. so yeah but uh anyway the reason i mentioned all of that is because uh jen and i will frequently refer to that comedy bang bang episode and be like it's very very witty very funny <laughs> very smart you know <laughs> That's really funny. Funny. yeah anyway yeah um yeah that guy's insufferable <laughs> moving on moving on should we talk about um michael and jim's relationship Let's do that. Let's do it. Well, I say let's talk about Michael and Jim's relationship, but first I have one on her side, small thing about the trip when they're preparing. And this is when, back to when Michael's in his office and he's going through his packing list. He doesn't say this, and I don't really know what to make of it anyway, but just something I noticed that I thought was interesting. He has a book on his desk that's by Mary Higgins Clark. So someone who's an author of a lot of best-selling suspense novels. And he also has the audiobook cd pack i couldn't actually tell if it was the same book but it was the same or what the book title was but it was the same author so i just thought that that was a really fun little detail 
Michael is a reader. When he goes on a trip and we see him, he's got um, his book out on the train. He's got his headphones on. So I'm assuming he likes to listen to the CD audiobook as he reads. Interesting. Oh, so you're imagining him like reading along with the audiobook? Yeah, because he's that's got cool. the book. He's yeah, like, no, he's you're right. Him. So that's how I'm thinking he's approaching it. I don't know. Incredible. Don't Your know. detective skills in these episodes are just astonishing. Um, well, since my other detective skill point, I meant to include this in a fashion report. Forgot to say it though, actually. Then we'll get to Jim and Michael. So Dwight. You might have noticed on his name badge, everybody's got a printed name badge, but Dwight's also has a lot of Sharpie written on it. There's another booth I'd visit. The Sharpie. Ah, nice. Would really like to see what Sharpie's up to. So his badge, what it has on it is all of his phone numbers, including, so he's got like home, work, cell. He has his pager number on there. And... He wrote Kurt, so his name is written on there, like as I think as Dwight Case Trute. So he wrote in Kurt, and he also crossed out in his title to the uh. his assistant to the regional manager, and he just <laughs> over to the. Oh, that's amazing! I was wondering about fun details about Dwight. That's great. Um, <laughs> I am ashamed that I haven't mentioned this detail thus far. So before we talk about Jim. Yes. And um, Michael's relationship. This episode takes place in my favorite city of all time, Philadelphia. Uh, And um, so, yeah, I just enjoyed that. We got to see like, you know, a shot of the Philadelphia Convention Center. Hmm. Um, Presumably they're on the Amtrak uh, train. Yeah. Probably pulling into 30th Street Station and uh what's her face is Meredith is correct that the city does smell like cheesesteaks and that's what makes it amazing. Um, So I was really happy about that. I couldn't get a a read on Angela's relationship to Philly because on the one hand she gets angry when, when Meredith says that she's like, there's a lot of history in Philadelphia, which very true. true. You got the Edgar Allan Poe house, you got the Liberty Bell, you got all kinds of, you know, great uh, historical stuff. But on the other hand, Angela also has the saying, she took the slow train from Philadelphia, right? Yeah, uh, it looks like someone took the slow train from Philly. She says, yeah. which is code for check out the slut. Which I was like trying <laughs> to unpack the logic of that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but I just really appreciated. I was like, all right, we got to fill because they're always going to New York City. And I was like, when are they going to come to Philly? But yeah, that is interesting. This is a good moment for me to say, you know, I don't know whether I like this or not, but it does feel like it's changing to me. Creed doesn't recognize Meredith, uh, starts eating Angela's like cereal or whatever she's eating. Uh And then Angela is like, why are there flies in here? Which I took momentarily as a kind of like, like she's a demonic or hellish figure, you know, that there, these are like flies that surround Angela, um, Hmm. in which maybe that's going too far, but either way, I was like, we are reaching a level of zaniness now that feels new to me in the show. And I don't know if others would agree with that, but just Creed being like essentially uh, having dementia or something just seemed um, wacky. And I laughed, but it just seemed like a tone, tonal evolution. Huh. Maybe that's why I do not like Creed. Huh. What? I don't like, I don't think I like zaniness. That's a good word for it. Like, I don't, 
I don't like that level of, um, I don't know, outrageousness. I say as I like defend Michael around every turn. So <laughs> I don't know if it's, I'll have to, I'll have to think about <laughs> kind of where are my limits, but I just, I don't, I don't enjoy Creed. But you enjoy Michael. So what did you think of Michael and Jim's story oh. in this episode? I love it. I love it so much. Let's start from their reunion moment. So they run into each other at the hotel and Michael says to Jim, good to see you. There he is. The traitor, traitor, traitor. Come here, you come here. And he hugs him and he says, yeah. And he kind of backs out and he like looks at him. He says, the, the product, the, the progital, my son returns. <laughs> and he's reaching for the prodigal son. <laughs> and this kind of biblical reference right, to a story about a son um, who leaves his father. I, I, I have to confess, I went to, to Wikipedia to pull a quick refresher um, though I knew this story from Sunday school well. Uh, but so it's a story about a father who has two sons. I'm just going to read it off of Wikipedia. The younger son asks for his portion of inheritance from his father who grants his son's request. This son, however, is prodigal, i.e. wasteful and extravagant, thus squandering his fortune and eventually becoming destitute. As a consequence, he must now return home empty-handed and intends to beg his father to accept him back as a servant. To the son's surprise, he is not scorned by his father, but is welcomed back with celebration and a welcoming party. And then the older son who's been there and like has been loyal to his dad um, becomes very jealous. So it's interesting then, I was like, wow, it's, he like he's trying to make this reference and messes it up so bad, but there's so much actually kind of in that reference, I think, in... Um, you know, positioning himself for Michael, positioning himself as a father, positioning Jim as a son and one who has gone away and who has done something wrong, but then who he, Michael, is kind of in the position to forgive and in the position to like be merciful toward basically like when the son is kind of coming back and like begging to be accepted or begging to come back. I think it said like the son wants to return as a servant. Like he doesn't even think he's going to be able to return as a son. And so there was just something really fascinating about Michael placing himself in that position and what it sets up to with Dwight and Jim, you know, with Dwight or with Jim being the one who leaves, but then the one who gets all of this love from the father, which then disappoints the other son who's been all about his loyalty and then gets just sort of sidelined. So I thought it was super interesting and I just love how Michael can't say it, like how he's kind of reaching for the word, but just can't quite, can't quite get to the right word and improvises to my son returns. <laughs> that's a brilliant analysis. I think that's so well, lovely. Most, mostly just a Wikipedia reading, but. But I think it, I think you're right that that really, uh, I don't know that th that kind of the, there are, there is some depth I think to the reference and how it frames the relationship between Michael and Jim um, over the course of the episode. There's some this is you know I, I don't have anything smart to follow it up other than to say that I just liked I like the scene where Michael shows up 
And Jim says, whatever, I, I really missed you or something like, or it's really good to see you. And Michael yeah. says that he didn't expect that. And yeah. I kept thinking about this. I think this is something that I like, uh, I can't, I don't need to always like locate things in personal ways. And yet I will, um, but I can relate to Michael on this level and mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that he just assumes that Jim has left and that he was unhappy at Scranton and now he's happy in this other place that he didn't like Michael, but he loves his new boss, you know, that he, like he just assumes everything is great. And like, um, and so as a result is surprised that Jim would actually in, be happy to see him. And yeah. I think that that speaks to like a level of, you know, I mean, we're not unaware of this, but like Michael's deep crushing insecurity. <laughs> so yeah. he, so yeah. it would be, it would be genuinely a surprise to him that somebody would actually want to see him. Um, and I don't know, I kind of related to that in, in maybe because of my own insecurities, but also because of the way that Michael narrates the whole thing essentially as a relationship. Like it's very clear by the end of the episode that he's, describing as he often does friendship as like a romantic partnership and um or or that he muddles the distinctions between them perhaps in a way that I kind of I like like you know there's something kind of queer in the broadest sense of the terms about how Michael doesn't seem to understand like the normative distinctions between friendship romance like Mm -hmm. and colleagues co-workers um or something like that so um huh so it was just very satisfying to me that he that that initial surprise gets elaborated later when Jim shows up to have a drink and he's all bitter and pissed off and he's basically said I'm never going to have a relationship with Jim again and then he's like yeah. oh, oh, oh you know oh my god I didn't realize <laughs> okay now we could be best friends yeah which is actually it's such an interesting twist on the um prodigal son parable thing like on that reference because in making Jim the son who returns kind of begging for forgiveness and to be accepted Michael would be the one in power to accept him or reject him like he would be the person in that position but really he doesn't feel himself to be in that position like he is kind of hopeful and surprised and grateful to Jim for wanting to see him for caring about him for you know embracing him in some way and describing him as a friend um i mean he so yeah he says jim and i have different definitions of friendship i think it's talking and being friends <laughs> and jim thinks it's moving to connecticut and being best <laughs> friends with josh me on that i uh i'm done i'm not going to be speaking with him anymore whatevs <laughs> long distance relationships never work and i guess that's where i kind of got this vibe of like kind of describing it as a long distance relationship in the same context of calling it friendship. But also this is one of my all time favorite comedy jokes, which (laughs) is having a character say something and then pulling back out and revealing (laughs) others are like literally (laughs) them. And so the fact that Evan is like, that is so true, uh, you know, for their business meeting on the bed or whatever. Oh my God. It just made me. It's so good. Yeah. I actually thought about you in that part. Cause I, I think, um, yeah, that visual move I remembered you liking and it, it's done it before when Michael's being interviewed and then the white is there kind of over his shoulder, I think. Um, so Evan, the hammer mill rap 
is there, yeah, sitting on the bed. He's got his binder ready to do his presentation. He's also holding a Cosmo. Yes. (laughs) Michael and Evan, actually, the connection between Michael and Evan, I think, is just a fantastic part of this episode. It's great. It's really great. It is. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I really had nothing. Well, I was just going to say, this is something I think about a lot with this show. And like, it's, this isn't a critique or anything. It's just like a, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. I I feel like I want to develop it into some theory or whatever, but it's just interesting that narratively Michael gets away with, he's like terrible in every way, except he is good at running the branch like and so like because I actually was kind of I I don't love when Jim is like you were a great boss Uh and I was like wait what like that feels like a change in character to me and also an untrue statement on the Uh other hand it is the case that he secures like this big sale and the reason he does it is because like by accident right like he's he's doing the um what the paper airplane thing and the is like fine you know i'll listen to your pitch or whatever and then i guess like mate at the best version of it would be like oh his openness to kind of socialization and partying leads to this mm-hmm. business development but you know i mean everybody's there for meetings anyway as as um jan explains so uh, anyway it's just interesting to me that like narratively they have to make him successful financially so that everything else in the show is possible um i don't know why that strikes me as interesting but i don't know does it does it hit you in any way do you have thoughts on that yeah yeah it does i love it because it is it is redeeming for him and i think you know he is so goofy and he describes (laughs) He describes this convention as a booze-fueled sex romp where right. everything goes, um, or anything goes. But he also is prepared. So when, as soon as um, the guy starts, as soon as Evan kind of opens his binary, starts his presentation, Michael says, okay, let me tell you what we're looking for. Like, he can pull it together. He knows, I think, yeah, he does, he does know things and he does know how to do things. And I think no one else paid attention to the hammer mill guy no one else gave the hammer mill guy josh wasn't going to listen to him for a minute right, right. And when they um get together and they have their meeting josh is quick to say hammer mill is exclusive to staples but it kind of makes sense that michael who's a little off the um strict agenda got you know, into more of a conversation with evan and i love it that he landed this big partnership or business deal i don't know whatever whatever it is that they can now sell hammer mill products. It's just great. I think we need to see some of that. That's would, you, would you go to the party? Um, would you go to room 308? Mm, this is such a good question. Cause I'm like, are, are we dealing with the real me? Are we thinking of like my actual self or the person who I want to be? I want to go. <laughs> I definitely want to be person who goes let's talk about the party i just think it is the sweetest thing it's cut in back and forth with pam's awful date too um but first there's a guy so michael has requested a room near the elevator wonderful so that there's a lot of foot traffic 
He's in his outfit, which we've already discussed. First, there's a guy who stops by. He sees no one's there and he leaves. And it is just heartbreaking. Crushing. 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 And then there are these moments where Michael's like wandering out into the hall, look around, see if anything's coming. Anyone's coming. No one's coming. Um, And then the Girls Gone Wild song. I love that scene there are times when i've looked for that song in order to like download it and keep it to listen myself haven't been able to find it so if you do or listeners if you know what the song is please send me the information so, if i may megan it is yes. by captain ahab captain it, is, ahab. it is off the uh album after the rain my heart still dreams how did you get all this information? Oh, uh, because I also am a detective of the office. I, don't, <laughs> I just was like, I need to find this song. And so, um, why? How did this song strike you, Tyler? Well, I was like, okay, wait. I mean, I wasn't able to find out too much information about it, but I was like, was this actually a song in Girls Gone Wild, or is this <laughs> like a, a kind it's of parody fun. song, or a you know whatever? But, um. But I immediately thought of, uh, speaking of like literary allegories, I was like, interesting that the song is Captain is by Captain Ahab. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, for Michael, the, the there are a number of white whales in, in oh, this uh, episode for him. You know, one of them <laughs> is throwing a party that people come to um, yeah. and would want to attend. Uh, you know, having this like big orgy, like hookup, situation with three packs of condoms and then also having a best friend that apparently isn't Dwight for some reason um yeah yeah. and uh so I kept thinking it was interesting that it was by um Captain Ahab and then also that the album is called After the Rain My Heart Still Dreams I was like that seems like a title that would appeal to Michael Scott like he's 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 a dreamer right he wants children he's got all of these you know um desires it's just such a perfect representation though of the like the hurt and the disappointment for him so like jim is walking up in the hallway he hears this music this like girls gone wild song and it is really loud michael has all the lights off he's sitting in a chair with his knees kind of like tucked up and he's looking at a flashlight and there's like blue lights and flashing lights in the room and he's just alone um but jim goes and jim talks to him and then the hammer mill guys show up and so they have this sweet little you know kind of smaller party and it's not a girls gone wild party but it just seems like some really nice guys getting together to talk to each other i love evan (laughs) your sentimentality about this party is fascinating to me because i'm like you know, he's he's trying to do like some frat boy thing, right? Like it's uh-huh. on the other hand, he keeps failing at it in a way that is very interesting. Yeah. You know, the cosmos, for example, is like you, you wouldn't expect as the 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 drink of choice. Uh totally. for, like you want to uh, exhibit your masculinity, you're not making cosmos. Uh yeah. So I mean, but there's a dartboard, which is very funny. And uh, yeah, I I don't, I was, yeah, I don't know. Did he bring all of that liquor in his suitcase? Like he has a full bar set up, although he's only making Cosmos, which is interesting. Only that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I just find this failed party that's then 
sort of redeemed as people do show up and Jim says that he's his friend. I just find it profoundly moving. <laughs> I do think it's, I mean, it's interesting just the way that it's narrated too. So do you guys work together? No, we used to, now we're friends. Yeah. Jim is, yeah, I don't know. We haven't talked enough about Jim's character or what function he serves here, but I thought that that was a very lovely thing to say. Yeah. It was also just an interesting narration of like the distinction between work and friendship. I don't mm-hmm. know if you think about this sometimes, but I definitely think about like to what extent, what are what, like, what is the genre of friendship at work? Yeah. You know, people will talk about work wives, work husbands, and that's like very much a singular, like one person mm-hmm. serves as this whatever. Um, yeah. But I remember thinking about this a lot in the context of the pandemic and isolation where I was like, I miss going into work, having all of these conversations. Were they my friends? Are they my acquaintances? In academia, we'll like say colleagues as if that means something in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that it actually like clarifies the problem in any way. Like, yeah. I don't know. Cause I sometimes think like, oh, okay. If, if people like get a job somewhere else, are we still going to be friends or are we going to be, are we just call, like, what is, what is the nature of this relationship? And so it was just interesting that Jim makes it a sequence. Like it's, they were working together and now they're not. And so they can be friends. Yeah. But at the same time, we know Jim to be a person who has more ambiguous lines, right? Like with Pam, it's like they, you know, work together. Yes. But we're also, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess were they friends or they, yeah. Weren't lovers. I don't know what they were. Um, <laughs> anyway, it was just an interesting moment of trying to actually, of stabilizing yeah. and clarifying and cohering a relationship that actually seems much more fluid and muddy than it, mm-hmm. than it is. Yeah. But speaking it's- of muddy fluids, then they turn on a black light. <laughs> they do. Sorry, I cut you <laughs> off. I had to take my opportunity. <laughs> and that's with Dwight. That's a Dwight friendship thing. Yeah, it's, hmm. So I tend to think too, when Jim says, and now we're friends, like it's really very kind. And at the same time, I don't know, I guess you could sort of see that both ways because I think we know and Jim knows that Michael is more desirous of this friendship than Jim is. And I thought too, when he says, you were a good boss, you were a great boss. I didn't necessarily read that as him like, genuinely saying he was a great boss but reassuring michael because that was beside the point like it, it just right. it really wasn't about him being a bad boss so basically michael needed to be able to understand that it was about something else that was not about him you know failing jim right. one really painful moment though in this relationship was when um they first when jim and josh come to Michael's room earlier, like in the afternoon. And I think Michael asks if they want a drink and Josh says a shot of Midori perhaps. And Uh, then they're like laughing at each other. And then Jim says, Oh no, sorry. It's an inside joke. There's this bartender in Stanford who, uh, you know what? You just have to be there. And I think that is, so I've talked about moments where I think Jim is being kind. I think that is so mean like that just makes me so sad and then Michael says this thing that is both sad and hilarious. Wish I was. I love inside jokes. I'd love uh, to do one someday. Oh, God. 
the way that he he delivers that line too with his face and his kind of eyes bulging is is aching it it's aching and funny yeah yeah it is well should we go to your your final um blacklight scene with dwight yes okay well so uh you know they turn on the blacklight and um uh michael (laughs) says what are those stains and dwight says blood urine or semen to which michael says oh god i hope it's urine now i have some thoughts on this (laughs) uh because I was trying to parse out, I mean, my basic question is like, why would you prefer urine over blood and semen? Um, <laughs> but then I also wanted to think about what a hotel room like signifies mm-hmm. in this episode. And because something that's kind of interesting about the way it represents hotel rooms is they're like permeable spaces, mm-hmm. right? So Jim gets a key, gets into Dwight's room, discovers Angela, um, misinterprets it you know, as like a sex worker or whatever, but like, and then equally like Michael's door to their room is open. And so there's this threshold of people passing in and out. He wants to retain them. But uh, anyway, what's always interested me and creeped me out about hotel rooms is they appear to be, they're, they're, they're intended to be pristine. On the mm-hmm. other hand, they are like populated by many, many, many people, right? They seem like un, un, you know, they're liminal spaces. Nobody's meant to stay there um, for a long period of time. It's supposed to be this like circulation and rotation of people, but you don't want to think about that, right? Like you don't want to think about how many people have like fucked on the bed or, you know, spilled food on the floor that you're working, you're walking on or or stuff like that, right? Like, so you try not to, or at least maybe I'm projecting, but I think that people try not to think about all yeah. the traces of human yeah. sociality in a yeah. hotel room. And so um, so I was like, okay, what do urine, blood, and semen signify here? Like on the one hand, I was thinking maybe urine signifies waste or dirt, you know? So it's this kind of like, um, yeah, blood signifies maybe violence or yeah. danger of some kind, also because of like the potential for you know, transmission or that kind of anxiety that we have about blood. And then semen, I was thinking, you know, obviously signifies sex, but also kind of grossness or disgust or something about like bodily boundaries being um, ruptured in a way that you don't want or something like that. So I was like, why out of all of those, why would you prefer (laughs) urine? I don't know. And I was like, is it because urine is the least, um, it's like the one that signifies the least permeability because mm-hmm. it would have dried and it's, <laughs> you know, so the only way that it's sort of infiltrating the body is by smell. But if you don't smell it, then you wouldn't <laughs> know about it or something. Um, part of the reason this interests me is that I'll just like take a quick tangent, but uh, earlier in, in our, you know, when Jen and I were living in Philadelphia, we were living apart when we first met, she got bed bugs and it was like a horrific thing and she lost all of her stuff. And, you know, it was like very traumatic. And so every time we would stay anywhere, but especially like a hotel or an Airbnb or whatever, she would want to check the bed, like check the mattress. And so Mm -hmm. that meant like stripping down the mattress to like taking everything off and then like looking underneath it or whatever. And as long as there was no sign of bed bugs or bugs at all, like Jen was reassured 
and mm. fine. But what I discovered is that like, <laughs> I was more comfortable with the idea of like not knowing or not seeing yeah. anything. And I was arguably more comfortable with the idea of bugs than I was by discovering as we sometimes did, like just lots and lots of gross stains yeah. and mysterious traces uh, on mattresses that you're like, okay, I'm now going to sleep on top of that. So I don't know. I kept thinking about that, like my own relationship to these, Hmm. like it, it, like it's the, it's the uncertainty that's gross to a degree too, right? Like that you don't know which thing it is. Uh, So that was, I don't know if if, uh, you had thoughts on why you're in or uh, anything at all on the black light, but those are my thoughts. Hotel rooms are complicated places. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) You know, I think I sort of, well, I gotta say, I love it how how deep a dive you took with the different bodily fluids and their implications. I think I thought of it a little more, um, a little more surface level, but about the relationship between Dwight and Michael, because this come like so. Michael has just done this little interview about friendship, and so it's after Michael describing him and himself and Jim as best friends, and he says. Some people need dozens of friends to say, hey, look at me, I'm popular, but not me. I'm very picky. I need three, maybe two. When you meet that someone special, you'll just know because a real relationship, it it can't be forced. It should just come about effortlessly. So he, I can't remember exactly how he says it, but he says the word effortlessly, like he kind of stumbles over a little bit. Um, But so many things the thing you said before about the kind of mingling of how do you think about romance or like that kind of relationship versus friendship and so he definitely speaks a language of well both there's like the kind of um friendship language that we learn growing up right that's about popularity and having your kind of people that signifies your popularity but then that idea of meeting someone special and just knowing um it not being forced, it has to be effortless. All that is like romantic relationship stuff. But he's saying it coming off of this thing with Jim, like he's sort of thinking about it with Jim. But then we're seeing this, we're seeing Dwight and Michael alone in a dark hotel room, just like having a good time together in a relationship that does seem more effortless in some ways, even though Dwight is not the one who is as desirable so um it just made me kind of wonder how we were supposed to be reading his take on friendship and kind of how he's thinking about his friendships that's really interesting and yeah it's also making me think remember too that like (laughs) at the beginning of the episode he wants to have like basically a a sex fueled you know drunken orgy right yeah he wants that semen soaked room (laughs) yeah like that's what he (laughs) went and instead you know he's ended up with uh friendship um which maybe speaks to the underlying sentimentality of the show uh yeah yeah but let me ask you a tough question who's your dundee of the week going to and for what this is easy (laughs) Um, well, I will say as a runner-up, someone I do want to give honorable mention is to Evan from Hammermill. I just thought he was a good guy. I thought he was really, I thought he was both kind and good at his job, you know, building his uh, connection with Michael and with Dunder Mifflin. But I am giving today the networking award 
to Michael Scott. I mean, come on. Need I say more? Michael just, I think he he did a great job schmoozing around at the uh, at the convention. He seemed to make the biggest connection, actually, out of anybody in getting Hammer Mill. Um, and I just think he is a delight in this this episode. So, Michael Scott for me. What about you, Tyler? A uh, lot of possibilities. I thought about Josh. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Josh. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> thought about Toby. Nope. Uh, no, Toby, we can talk about it. I hate Toby so much in this episode. What? He he was gonna shoot his shot, and he didn't have time to get into it, Tyler. <laughs> you don't like that he he wanted to ask Pam out. I found myself feeling just disgusted. Whoa! Whoa! Okay, we need a part two of the convention <laughs> to unpack Toby Flenderson. Uh, everything wrong with the paper business is Toby. <laughs> Um, I'm Michael. I uh I thought about Dwight, you know, he loans him that uh, neck pillow. That's a real <laughs> nice nice move. That's a Dundee winner um if I ever seen one. But no. The Dundee uh for honesty goes to Michael Scott. And the moment that really won me over is when Jim explains um why he transferred he says, I transfer because of Pam. And Michael says, oh my God, you don't even know. She's single now. Hmm. Um, and Michael's like, oh, I'll talk to her. And um, you should at least talk to Roy. He knows exactly how you're feeling. But, <laughs> but I thought it was really interesting that Michael is like immediately honest and like does not try to manipulate his friendship. He doesn't try to manipulate Jim with knowledge that he has that he thinks Jim doesn't have. You know what I mean? Like- yeah. Uh, he could have, even if he doesn't know that Jim knows. Anyway, I thought that was a really interesting moment. And I also, throughout the episode, really appreciated Michael's. Like, he's inviting everybody. He he wants yeah. people to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, so your networking award is great. Um, and we are in rare agreement. <laughs> All right. Very well, good. What's the next episode? Do you remember? I believe it is the coup. Oh, the coup. All right. Well, we will be back here for season three, episode three, the coup. Take right. care. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.